0: Welcome to the Life Giver Sunday special. If we truly want to become a life giver in our home and marriage, we have to go to the creator of life and allow him to breathe life back into our own heart. The Life Giver Sunday special is still a place for honest conversation, but it will aim to encourage your faith and restore your soul. Welcome to the season finale of season four of the Life Giver podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. Thank you for joining me for an amazing season. We've had fantastic interviews and great topics, and Matt has been able to join me a little bit more this season. And it's just been really a great ride, like a great roller coaster ride this year. Moving in the middle of the season, um, produced apparently some really good content where I let you guys in a little bit more to my world and kind of some of the things that I wrestle with. And I really enjoyed kind of opening up a little bit more with you and sharing that. And from what I've heard from some of you, it's been really helpful for me to be that honest as some of you guys have also struggled with change and and PCSing um, and how that impacts you. And so um, this season was also a, a new opportunity for me to do these Sunday specials where we dive a little bit deeper and explore our faith and the spiritual questions that come up from the difficulty or the things that we're going through in this lifestyle. And I've really enjoyed that. Um, And I'm glad that you've enjoyed it too. And so this is the last Sunday special and the last episode overall for season four. And those of you who've been following me know that I take a sabbatical every winter that gives me a chance to just kind of take a break and refocus and think about um, the coming year, the coming season, and what I want to do with it. And I'm really encouraging you guys to do the same. Find a way as we approach the holidays to take a break and really rest and be prepared for January. Think about it ahead of time of what you want to accomplish in the next year and what you need to kind of refocus and recalibrate, maybe hit a reset. Um, and that's what it is for me. So um, you will see me kind of pop up here and there. I'm not going to completely disappear. There is an event in California that I'm super excited about. I'm going to be MCing Mill Spouse Fest um in Camp Pendleton and also in San Diego. So if you guys are in California, um it's a free event and I am telling you, I got to be a part of it in Nebraska and they give away so many prizes. It is a blast. It is just a fun event. They have a morning event, they have an evening event. Um, So we'll do that on the 19th of November and then on the 21st, we'll be at um, Camp Pendleton. So if you're in California, I hope you will come see me and we'll have a great time. So I will be emceeing the event and then we'll also have a segment in there where we can talk about um, how to kind of get you unstuck if you feel like you are and moving forward. And I'm super excited to join um, Mill Millspouse Fest out there. So, um, but as far as the podcast, I take a, a good break from it and just really think about next season. Um, my good friend, Jennifer Hamrick is joining me on the team for life giver, and she's going to be helping out a little bit more, which I've been so thrilled to have her on board with me. And so we are already brainstorming guests for next season and how to refine the focus of the podcast a little bit more towards marriage specifically. Um, and so it's going to be great. So I'm super excited. So a little bit about, um, today's topic. So I'm going to give you a background The topic, the title of today's episode is Who's Really in Charge? And um, that's a question that I've been thinking about a lot for a long time. And chances are there's probably been something that you've gone through in your life that's made you think about this too. And as I think about this lifestyle and as I've opened up this season about the struggle that I've had with PCSing so frequently and then coming up on another PCS here next uh, summer... Um, I find myself getting frustrated with all of the constant change and uncertainty, as I know a lot of you spouses also feel, and there's times, and you know, I think there's service members and first responders that I know you ask this question too. Who's really in charge and how much is God really part of it, right? So let me give you a background on my experience of this question as it relates to our lifestyle. So I've been in situations where I've been at coffee groups or, you know, we talk about where's your next duty station. And there's always been somebody present who has said, you know, I'm fine to go wherever I'm supposed to go and whatever that next assignment is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And God is really in charge, not the military, not the army, not that branch. um, And that God is really in charge of wherever I go. And I've always had to be completely honest here. A little bit of a moment internally for me where I've really struggled with that answer, and it bothered me that I struggled with that answer because you know my, all of my background of my relationship with God and going to seminary and diving into Scripture tells me I should be okay with that answer, that I should be okay with whatever God, what, you know, where, whatever happens to me um is God's will for me. Um but there was always this kind of little thing in the back of my head that said, "Yeah, but there's human beings involved, and human beings are very flawed, and maybe it's because my job I see, you know, a lot of the consequences of people's sin and their choices and how they derail their marriage and they derail their life that maybe there's just this part of me that goes, yeah, I do believe that God is in charge. I have to believe that if I believe in him and if I believe in what the Bible says and if I say that it's true, that I do have to say that if that's where I go, then, then God has allowed it and so therefore he is sovereign, he's in charge, and so I just have to trust that process. But then there's that part of me, right, that goes, yeah, but you know, God's not signing our orders, people are. And are those people even praying about where the weathers are going? Like, do they care about that? And I think that that also applies to those of you who are first responders. You know, when you think about that promotion, right? You may be praying hard for a promotion. You might be thinking, you know, this is really something that we want for our family. And if you have toxic leadership or that leadership is not really thinking about what's in the best interest of the organization, and there's politics involved, that's another way that this comes into play. I can even um, apply this even a little bit deeper for those of you who have gone through abuse or childhood trauma, especially at the hands of somebody else This question also comes up, right? Who's really in charge here? Like, you know, you've been the victim of man and man's sin in your life where something happened. You find yourself just kind of struggling on the inside that, yes, I believe that God is sovereign and he can move mountains and he can change anything and he can get involved if he wants to, but he didn't. And man got involved and really kind of screwed some things up for you, right? And so There's that question again of who's really in charge here. If, let's say, abuse happened in my life, was that God's will for my life? Or did man get involved and make a choice that was destructive that caused consequences in my life that God would not have wanted, right? And so, where is his will in that? Where does God get involved in that? And so we can apply this to so many areas, this question of who is in charge and what do we really believe about God's sovereignty and what does it mean to believe that God is sovereign? And so as I have wrestled with that question as it relates to what happens to us and where we move, and of course, no doubt, you guys have been listening to this season where I admit that I struggle with that, those big changes, right? So I know full well that this is coming also at a place in my own heart where I struggle to adapt quickly. Um, Maybe there are those out there that have the strength for adaptability and you're kind of everything's an adventure and whatever, every, you know, whatever is fine with me, that it's easier for you to have your faith that God is ultimately in charge because you can adapt so quickly and easily to that change and not necessarily wrestle with it so much. Maybe that's what stands out that makes us a little bit different, you know, as we wrestle with this question. I'm going to walk you through my journey of exploring God's sovereignty in my life and the questions that I have been asking and how I've been trying to find those answers. And so a couple of extra kind of little tidbits that you might need to know about my story of thinking about God's sovereignty is um, one moment that Matt and I had when we were leaving Colorado and we were... We were given orders to Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, which we were very excited about. And we really felt um, we had a desire in our heart to go there. We had a desire for the unit they were being attached to. Um, And we felt really good and at peace about that. And we, our orders were shifted, like literally as soon as we turned into the parking lot of Hunter Army Airfield, our orders changed and we were taken to Fort Stewart, which was 45 minutes south of Hunter and we really wrestled with that. We went back and forth with those that were trying to pull us to Stuart. We really kept saying, you we really want to be at Hunter. But of course, the military won in the end, and it was the needs of the military. Um, and that brought up the question in our heart of, you know, where does our desire, and is it God's desire that he's given in our heart to go a certain direction if the military is pulling you another direction? And who's really in charge? Because isn't there, you know, scripture that talks about God will give you the desire of your heart? We had a chaplain mentor of ours that we still dearly love that was trying to give us some advice back then. And what he was trying to tell us at the time was that God has an ultimate will and he and he does have a will for our life and that man can sometimes definitely get involved and can, can derail that and can do something different. And the way that we heard it at the time, I think because we really wanted to go to Hunter, um, was that... We felt because we had this desire in our heart and this peace that we thought that we felt about Hunter that um, God wanted us to go to Hunter and that man kind of messed it up by sending us to Stewart. That's what we interpreted this mentor saying to us. Now, um, I think what he was actually trying to teach us at that time was that we can't necessarily look around in our life and say that everything that happens um, is God's will because that's kind of dangerous. Um, So that would be like looking at the abuse in your life and saying, God wanted abuse to happen. He wanted destruction to happen in my life. And so I'm just going to kind of slap an okay on that um, and say that it was God's will. Otherwise he would have done something differently. And the reason why that's a dangerous thought is because it gets us into kind of the universal Unitarian kind of theology. Um, It gets us into this idea that Um, Everything is okay. The universe determines what's okay. And so whatever happens to you must be what you're destined to go through. It's your fate. And that doesn't necessarily fit with scripture and with our theology. We have to believe that there is sin in the world and sin causes destruction and not everything that happens in our life is what God wants for us. But we also have to kind of fit in there while God does allow things. And that brings us to that deeper question of when does God get involved and when does he not and what is his will and what is not and how do we live through that and try to figure out what is what another piece to my story is that I shared with you this season that I had this wonderful counselor in South Carolina that I found. um, And as I was having sessions with her, she would on occasion say to me, um, in response, she she had this great way of just kind of bowing her head and closing her eyes and just kind of shaking her head at me like and kind of giggling to herself because she'd really gotten to know that I would come in with these deep questions. And I had spent a lot of time processing and thinking on my own and I would bring something into the session and just kind of wrestle with it and present it to her. And she would just kind of shake her head and smile and go, but Corey, do you believe that God is sovereign? And she kept saying that and when she would say that to me, I kind of would have to pause for a second and go, she keeps asking me this. So I have to ask myself, do I, do I have a problem with believing God's sovereignty? And what does that actually mean? And then not too long after that, I had a good friend of mine, we were talking about just some kind of random external topic. And she said to me, you know, Corey, one day somebody said to me, how you respond to your current circumstances.'" Reveals whether or not you believe God is sovereign and really in charge. And she wasn't necessarily talking about me. I wasn't sharing anything that I was wrestling with, but I took note of that, right? Because here I've got this counselor that's asking this to me, and I've got this mentor that said something that's kind of a similar statement. And that's one of those times that you kind of perk your ears up and go, okay, God, I think you're trying to say something to me because. There's this theme that keeps popping up in these random ways um, that are asking me the same question. And so I better kind of take a look at that and pause and just kind of meditate on that a little bit and see if that's something that you're trying to teach me. So after thinking about both of these kind of interactions and also having gone through recent PCS where I was really struggling with who's really in charge to all these several different things kind of all at once happening. I decided, okay, I'm going to explore God's sovereignty and that maybe there's something I need to take a look at in my own life. And so I kind of wanted to model with you guys, um, in this episode, how I went about exploring in scripture, the answer to this, because really when it comes down to it, this question of who is really in charge is really asking the question. If we like kind of simmered it down to its root, if we really look at what's the real question we're asking um, about God's character. We're really asking the question, what is God capable of? Do I believe that? Is he really in charge? When does he get involved? When does he not get involved? And so it's asking about the character of God. And anytime we have a question like that, this is a great opportunity to go to scripture because scripture is given to us as kind of this love letter that's given to us. It's a stories. It's a collection of God's encounter with men. It is how he moves and how he doesn't move. And. And it gives us just clear feedback on how we can have a right relationship with him. It is everything that we need in our life to have a good relationship with God and be within the will of God. And so if we are never getting into scripture, we are definitely going to go off course and we're going to be outside the will of God for sure. And we're definitely going to be confused too about the character of God. And so the only way to have a good, clear picture of his character and answer this question is to really look at that first, dive into his word First, we can't go off of our experiences. We can't go off our best guesses because we're flawed. And that means we're going to come up with a very flawed answer. And one of the things that I learned in seminary from some really great professors is that there are no new revelations, that all of the revelations that God wanted to reveal to humanity is in scripture. So there's no new revelations outside of Scripture. Now, there are things that are going to happen in our life that illuminates God and his relationship with us that we can trace back and confirm in Scripture from the original revelation of what God wanted to tell us about himself and how he wanted to direct us. So we have to go to scripture as what God wanted us to know, the basics of what God wanted us to know, the truth, so that when we experience things in our life, we don't create new revelations that are outside of scripture, which is why it's dangerous to um, believe anything that is not founded in scripture, right? Okay. So for me personally, when I realized I had this question and I needed to examine this in my own heart I decided I was going to go into scripture and start looking for when did God specifically get involved with mankind to change the heart of man. And here's why I wanted to look at it from that perspective. It was a little too broad for me to go. I'm just going to look up God's sovereignty because the entire Bible is God's sovereignty, right? And so definitely we could be all over the place throughout scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, looking at different ways that God is sovereign. And I would highly encourage you to do that. Go to your index and look for where God really revealed himself. There's great big stories that I can think of off the top of my head of Job at the end of Job, where he's gone through Long amounts of suffering. And then he really just fires off his anger towards God, as frustration, rightful anger, right? Justified anger. And God reveals his sovereignty and basically puts Job in his place and says, I, you know, I know that you've been through a lot. However, I am still in charge. Right? Let me tell you who I am. It's one of my favorite places in scripture where he in, in love and kindness, but also very firm, comes back to Job and reveals his sovereignty. So there's some great big places in scripture where we can look up his sovereignty. But for me specifically, this came down to man's involvement with God's will. And I wanted to see, does God ever actually intervene? Does he personally intervene and change a person's heart? So for example, if in your marriage... Um, I hear from a lot of people that you maybe want more children and your spouse doesn't. You want to adopt and your spouse doesn't or isn't ready. Or maybe it's the other way around. Your spouse wants something and you don't necessarily have that desire that you're not quite in sync, right? Right that the question is whose heart should change and does god get involved with that um but it's also about going back to an extreme example abuse right that can god change a heart and save you from being victimized in that moment would god intervene to stop that destruction from happening if that was the will of god for that to not happen why didn't he get involved could he have gotten involved could he have stopped it and to stop it that means to get involved in that individual's life and change their heart right to stop them and that also brings up man's freedom of choice their will and he has definitely given us free will to choose whether or not we're going to follow him or not so when does god get involved does he get involved when mankind is going off his will and going to cause destruction does he get involved and when does he do that so that's why i was looking into scripture so i could apply this even to this upcoming pcs where i go okay if the military if the army wants to send the weather's team let's say to california right um if the military says we have a spot that we need to fill and so we're going to send the weather's to california If that's not what God wants, would God get involved with those people to prompt their heart, change their heart and say, no, actually, we feel like we should actually send, you know, the weathers to Georgia, let's say. Right. So when does God get involved um, with that promotion within your marriage and changing your spouse's heart or changing your heart? Or when does he not and take a step back? So that's why I was going into scripture for those reasons. So so the first question we have here is, can other people take us off of God's plan? Um, can they influence God's will for our life? And so we're kind of looking externally first, not within our own heart, but externally. Can God, can other people... Take us off of God's plan. So there's that PCS example of, you know, if God wanted us to go to Georgia, you know, can man get involved and say, nope, we're going to send them to California, even though we feel prompted to send them to Georgia, or maybe we don't feel prompted at all, right? So that's what we're taking a look at first. So I want to take you to, if you have a a Bible, if you're sitting somewhere um, and you can pull out your Bible or use version on your phone, that app is fantastic. Um, I would definitely encourage you to look this up with me. Um, But if you're driving in the carpool or going for a run, I'm going to read it for you as well. And so we are going to look at actually Deuteronomy 20, actually Deuteronomy 30, 15, I'm going to bounce around a little bit here, but I just want to point out a couple things. So this is a place where Moses has summoned all the Israelites. So they've already gone through the Exodus here. They're on the other side. They're out of Egypt. They've seen all the signs and wonders of God. He's giving them instruction, clear instruction on how they can stay within the will of God. And there's this great part where um, Moses is basically saying, hey, this is not difficult. Okay, Um, you don't have to pray to heaven. There's not like this mystery in heaven of how to be within the will of God. We are giving you black and white Ten Commandments and a few extras here on how you can do the right thing and not miss staying within the will of God. Um, So I love that part, but specifically I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy 30, 16, where it says, for I command you today to love the Lord, your God, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. Okay. Those three things. If I, he's like, there's lots of rules I know, but if I could sum it up into three, that's the three basic ones. And then he says, Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So he's basically saying, follow these decrees, follow what God has asked you to follow, and you will be within the will of God. That doesn't necessarily mean that there will it will be perfect, but there will be blessing, okay? That's being within the will of God, is that blessing and that relationship with God. Then verse 17 says, But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to to bow down to other gods and worship them. Verse 18, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. Notice the difference between the two. Follow what God is asking you to do and there is blessing and he will be there to take care of you and you'll prosper. If you choose to turn your heart away and disobey, you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Verse 19, this Day, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Basically saying, I've told you, you can choose blessing or you can choose destruction. You can choose life or you can choose death. It is your choice. Do not turn your heart away. Do not make that choice. If you do, that equals destruction. He says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord, your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you the many years in the land. He swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now notice he also talked about the children, right? So basically saying your ability to obey and choose life impacts generations. It There's consequences of your choice. If you choose The right way, then blessing will be passed down to those generations. If you choose destruction, there's consequences, not just for your life, but other people's lives too. Generations, right? So clearly, what we see right here is that man can choose god has a will for your life he has a great desire to give you blessing he's inviting you to enter a land of blessing but if our hearts turn away from god we ourselves are choosing destruction and that destruction has consequences on those around you that's great when we talk about abuse right that's part of what was happening if you've experienced abuse in your life someone chose to turn their heart away from god chose to enter a path of destruction. And the consequences of that is that you were victimized. You are within those consequences of what happened to you. You experienced the consequences of someone else turning their heart from God. And God clearly has given us free choice, knowing that some people will do that. Now, I know, hold on here, because I know we've not answered when does God intervene. But we have to answer that question first, that God has given us that free will and that he's even telling his people, you have the ability to turn your heart, so don't turn your heart. Choose to follow me. So we can draw a conclusion here to say that people can harden their own hearts, right? People can turn off their ears, harden their heart, not follow the will of God, and that causes destruction and consequences for everybody else. If we apply this to a less extreme example, um, if you are within a marriage and your spouse's heart is hardened, you definitely experience the consequences of that, right? If your heart is hardened, then the, your family, your children are experiencing the consequences of you choosing not to follow God. We impact and influence other people's lives. So let's talk a little bit about the consequences that play out in our lives when we're not following God or when other people aren't. So I'm going to take you actually to 2 Chronicles, where there's a fantastic part um, where it's talking about things are really going downhill right now um, in 2 Chronicles. Israel has been split. Everybody is worshiping other gods, and the kings involved are not following God either. Like, they have definitely turned their hearts from God, and there is destruction everywhere to the point that God is sending prophets to go, hey, everybody, like, a just course now. there are there are not only terrible consequences happening now, but more are coming if you don't change your heart. And so at the end of second chronicles, chapter thirty six, um in verse eleven, it's talking about Zedekiah, the king of Judah. So Israel has split. We've got Israel, We've got Judah. And so Zedekiah is the king of Judah, and things are really going downhill in Judah. It says in verse 13 that Zedekiah also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart. So here's an example of leadership hardening their heart. And he would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders and of the priests of the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord. So here we have leadership hardening their heart. And because leadership hardened their heart, those that fell under leadership is also not following God either. They're just following what the king is saying to do and things are getting worse. And then it says in verse 17 that God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. So basically the king of Judah has now been handed over to King Nebuchadnezzar. Because he had hardened his heart and things had gotten so bad that God just handed him over. Destruction was coming already. And it was going to get worse. And he's been warning them for a long time and they refused to turn their heart. They refuse to soften their own heart. And because of that, God is now handing them over. So we see this in other places in scripture too, where God definitely is willing to hand us over to the destruction that we're causing in our life, because even though he may try to intervene, and we're going to talk about how he does that in just a second, even though he tries to intervene, if we refuse to listen, if we refuse to soften our own heart, if we refuse to realize that. We do have control on whether or not we're within the will of God or not, that He's going to eventually hand you over because He's not going to force somebody to do the right thing if you're going to choose to do the wrong thing. Some of the experiences that we might experience in life that are intense suffering at the hands of somebody who has hardened their heart and causing destruction is because they're refusing to change their heart, and God is handing them over. And we are experiencing, we're kind of in the blast radius of what's happening. We are experiencing the consequences of that person hardening their heart and causing and choosing destruction. So in this king's example, you better believe that the people within his kingdom are experiencing and are under the consequences of being handed over to King Nebuchadnezzar. They're kind of these victims who are experiencing the wrath of God or the judgment of God, or the consequences, the natural life consequences of of that person being handed over to their own sin. But here's what's interesting. If you keep reading in that chapter, um they're handed over, and there's a remnant that comes out of that. They, it's almost like the people are sifted because they're in that suffering of being handed over. Think about an alcoholic who refuses to, be sober, refuses to get help. And we talk about them hitting rock bottom. That would be an example of being handed over. Like, fine. If you are just going to choose this and you're not going to listen to anybody else, we're waiting for you to hit rock bottom where you're going to experience the worst of the worst of the worst of the consequences of your own behavior. And when you hit rock bottom, we talk about people then kind of waking up and realizing, okay, things are so bad. I've sifted my heart. and I think I'm ready to open my heart again. It says He carried into exile to Babylon, the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all of the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Okay, this is very important. There is this remnant. There's this group of people who... We're spared, we're protected by God, but it was 70 years. So God can clearly see that there are some that choose destruction, but within that group, there are still those he sees that are trying to choose him, even though they're under toxic leadership. But then in verse 22, it says in the first year of Cyrus, King of Persia, notice this phrase in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. Here is where we have a moment where God intervenes to move the heart of Cyrus. This brings it back to this question that this friend of mine mentioned to me, or this statement that this friend of mine mentioned to me of how I respond to my current circumstances reveals whether or not I believe God is sovereign. When you think about those people that were underneath King Zedekiah, they could have responded like, their leadership did, the priests did underneath King Zedekiah, right? They could have chosen to say that if we believe that God is sovereign and he's allowing this to happen, that that must be what he wants. And I think some of the priests were doing that, right? But there was a, this remnant group of people that chose something different. How they responded to their current circumstances revealed, did they believe that God is sovereign, meaning more sovereign than the king that has been put in place over them? And that caused them to think differently, behave differently in light of the leadership that was given to them. Now, side note, this is not any kind of political podcast. I'm not speaking anything about army leadership, our president, anything like that. I'm talking about, listen to what I'm saying about this with the story of scripture and apply it to your own world and your own circumstances this is about wherever you find yourself, whether it's in a microcosm or whether it's a bigger system or just whatever is going on in your life. So now we come down to the questions of God's character. The first question is, does God intervene on his own ever as far as himself getting involved and in changing the heart of man? We've already seen he's done that with King Cyrus. He's already given us an example that he specifically moved King Cyrus's heart. We see this also in Exodus 421, a common story that most of us have heard. Moses has gone in to say, let my people go. And here's the cool thing here, um, that God actually tells Moses ahead of time, I want you to go in and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go, but be prepared. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, which is honestly always kind of upset me a little. Like, doesn't he want to pave the success for Moses? Like Moses is already struggling with the fact that he doesn't feel like he speaks well, and he's not sure if he's going to do this right. And, and God's like, just trust me, do it anyways. You're going to be the mouthpiece for me. I'm the one in charge. I'm sovereign. I am right. He didn't even say I am God. He's just, I am. If there's a, Perfect statement for God's sovereignty. It's that. Just I am, right? Not I am strong, I am good. He's even bigger than that. He just is I am. So he tells Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And that's another very big example of God getting involved himself to shift man's heart and change man's heart himself without the use of anybody else. So we can um, definitely see throughout scripture, even there's a place in first Samuel where he softens Saul's heart. So can God get involved and change the heart of man? Absolutely. We have clear evidence in scripture that God can the question is, what? why doesn't he do that all the time, right? You might be praying for your spouse's heart to soften. And that can get really frustrating if we only look at scripture and if we only look at that part of scripture and go, well, God, you can. How come you don't? right? You must not want to, or maybe you're not sovereign. Maybe you're not that big because you you can and you're not, right? Is it that you just can't now? Is it that you only did it in the Old Testament? There's a lot of questions that could come up if we stop there and don't look at other places about how God intervenes with our heart. So question number one, can he intervene on his own? Yes, we've seen that he can. Number two, if he does not, what else does he do? Sometimes he uses other people to help soften or change someone's heart. There's even more examples of this throughout scripture. We've already seen with the story of King Zedekiah that there have been prophets involved, right? So all the books of the prophets, all the prophets are really meant and sent by God to help change the hearts of men. Some of them listen, some of them don't. A lot of them don't. And because they don't, what God said would happen if they didn't turn their heart happens. So that means that sometimes God might use you to help soften your spouse's heart. God might be using your spouse to soften yours, and it's a question of whether or not we're willing to soften our heart and listen. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a pastor. Um, God clearly loves to use the community and the body of believers more often than just intervening himself and changing the hearts of men. So he is... And why? Why would he do that? He does it because he needs to show us that being in community with other people is important into the confirmation of God's character. When we experience God through other people, we we get to experience the testimony of God in other people's lives. We get to see God's character as not just only what we personally experience, but that we can experience another piece of him through someone else's experience and that he is so sovereign, so big, that he can actually use other people to speak to and influence and and it's like this artist using so many different colors and so being within the community and being within the body of christ is so important if we isolate ourselves and we only have our own experience with god and never experience god through other people then we're not going to really we're going to experience only a tiny slice of god's character and not get to see several different colors of who he is and that's why even throughout scripture we have prophets and we have the disciples sharing the gospel of their perspectives of jesus they all have Different perspectives of him, different experiences of him. And that all of that combined gives us a better perspective of God's character, which is why it's great to read and understand scripture in all of its entirety. Because if we just take out this one little piece, we're not going to really fully understand his character. We're only going to see one piece of it. So here are some conclusions we can make about God's sovereignty. Number one, God can do miraculous things, he can move mountains. He can stop the sun. He can change a Pharaoh's heart. He can soften Saul's heart. He can soften your spouse's heart. He can soften someone's heart who's deciding where you're going for that next piece. Yes. He can heal a tumor. He can cure that cancer. He can heal your child. Right? If we believe that he's sovereign, we have to believe that he can. Scripture says that he can. Scripture gives examples that he does get involved, him one-on-one with people, their heart, or even Jesus healing those medical issues. He can. And if I believe scripture, I have to believe that he still can. And for some of you, we could stop right there. And that would be enough for you to wrestle with and struggle with for a very long time. Because for some of you, you've been praying for him to get involved and he hasn't. And that it could be the root of why I wanted to do this episode. He can, but sometimes he chooses not to. And that doesn't mean he's not still sovereign, but he's allowing it to play out for a reason. There's something good he's wanting to bring about. And that's what my counselor was trying to bring out in me. She was trying to say, Corey, if you believe that he's sovereign, then you have to believe that in his sovereignty, he sees something that you don't see, that there's something that he is wanting to bring about in you. That is still part of his plan, and he's allowing it to play out this way. Then God might be allowing it to happen because there's something he needs to refine in you, that he still sees that something good can come out of your circumstances that will ultimately point to him, right? That even if he hands somebody over to complete destruction, when you see somebody come back from that destruction, turn their heart back to God. And do something different with their life. The only thing that we see in that is only God could have done that. Only God could have saved that marriage. Only God could have helped that family get through that just amazingly difficult time and still hold it together. Think about the Sunday special with the Murray family, right? God didn't intervene and just heal and make everything okay. That story was filled with so many things that were not okay, The Murrays had to choose to believe that God is still sovereign, even when he doesn't do what we'd like for him to do. And and walking through that, God sifted their heart. He brought the remnant, right? He took their faith and made it stronger. And that now we can look at the Murray family and go, only God could have done that, right? Beth Morris says something fantastic where she says, you know, when you go through the fire, when you go through something really difficult... um, God sometimes can deliver you from it, right, where he can just save you. And we have to believe, like we said, that he can or he delivers you through it, meaning you have to go through it. He's not going to rescue you from it. But on the other side of heaven, we experience the freedom from it right our bodies are going to fall apart they are going to age and we are going to approach death and as we do there is going to be suffering involved in that and god is not going to save us from that he's going to deliver us through it on the other side of heaven we're going to look back and go i am so glad that i'm on the other side because my body was tired and broken right so sometimes god delivers from because he can sometimes he sometimes he just delivers us through it But sometimes he's going to refine us in it. Sometimes he's going to allow us to walk through that difficulty. He's not going to save us from it. Because there's something good and amazing he wants to refine in us, bring that remnant faith out of it. And out of that, he sees far more good that can come out of that, just like the Murrays sharing their story and encouraging so many other people. This is a great moment for me to give you an update on what they're doing. There is now a bus that does ultrasounds for pregnancies called the Benjamin bus because the Murray's shared their story. They have been traveling and sharing their story with so many people because of what they went through. They would not be having the impact that they're having today. Had God not allowed them to walk through something so difficult, if he would have just saved them from it. God's plan is so much bigger than we can even comprehend And you may not understand why he's not delivering you from whatever you're going through right now. But if he's choosing not to, we have to believe that he's still sovereign. He's still in charge and he's allowing whatever is happening in your life to take place. So to end today, this week, Kanye West just put out his latest album. And if you've been following this, um, you'll enjoy it. Maybe you haven't been following it, but Kanye, a famous rapper who. You know, he definitely now has come out and said that he struggles with bipolar and that in his mania, he had put out previous albums talking about how he was sitting on this throne and he was like this Messiah. And um, and in that mania, a lot of people were really worried about him, calling him crazy, saying he's falling apart. And ultimately, he did go into a hospital, a mental hospital, comes out and says and reveals that he has bipolar And that he has really struggled with that. He's been on medication. He's been off medication. There's a fantastic episode with David Letterman. Um, It's a Netflix series. I highly encourage you to watch some of them. But he interviews Kanye and he talks about some of that struggle of dealing with mental illness. And recently, just even in the last week or two, um, we've seen some shifts that's happened in Kanye's life. And he just put out an album this week called Jesus Christ. And he's come out saying that he's turned his life around and he believes in God and he's been reading the Bible and he's completely, even to the point that I read an article where um, Kanye was really starting to struggle with the fact that his wife, Kim Kardashian, was really putting herself out there, putting her body out there. And Kim Kardashian is obviously struggling with this because she felt for so long, he was putting her on a pedestal and that he was encouraging her to show herself off to the point that even on one of the videos of his songs, um, she's almost nude celebrating her body and putting it out there for the world to see. So she's understandably confused at the transformation he's going through. So he's put out this album called Jesus Christ and it's, um, fantastic actually. And James Corden, Did his like karaoke video with Kanye, but I'm going to end today's episode with a portion of that. Hopefully um, nobody out there is going to take this down. I'm going to try to give all the credit that I can and point you to watch the whole thing in its entirety because it's fantastic. But usually James Corden is in the car with this celebrity and they're listening to the music um, in the car and singing together, whatever. And so in this episode, they're actually on a plane with Kanye, so it's James Corden and Kanye on the plane, and on the plane with them is this incredible choir that Kanye is traveling with, from his recent album, Jesus Christ. And it's kind of got this fun beginning that I'm not gonna play for you, but there's this portion here at the end that I am going to play because I think it talks about God's sovereignty. And what you get to hear is what Kanye is doing with changing his life around. And you can even hear in some of his story that God did not rescue Kanye from himself. In a lot of ways, God handed Kanye over to where he wanted to go. He got to a place where he was choosing so much destruction for his life and hardening his heart, hardening his heart to a place where he himself thought he was the Messiah and put himself on that throne himself, saying that he was the highest of the high, right? And God handed him over to the point that Kanye is in the mental hospital. I'm not going to play for you this piece, but he talks about when he was in the mental hospital at the at his rock bottom moment, hears God speak to him. And says, are you ready to follow me? And Kanye softened his heart. He chose to soften his heart. And I'm going to play in closing James Corden asking him a few questions about how do we wrestle with seeing Kanye different? Do we choose to believe that this is God? Do we, Or is this just another one of Kanye's kind of crazy moments? But you can't help but hear not only... Kanye speaking, but the music that surrounds him that just lifts up God as the main character in the story, that God has had a plan. And when you hear the plane singing around them, the amount of rejoicing, the amount of celebration that is coming from Kanye changing his heart, and in response to changing his heart, the storyline that God has to Really shout from the rooftops. You can't not pay attention. So in celebration of ending season four, I want you to close your eyes if you're not driving. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen to Kanye share his story of God being sovereign in his own life. I want you to listen to the music and I want you to celebrate with it. And and as you're listening to the music, I want you to think about God's sovereignty in your own life. Maybe a place where you need to soften your own heart. And maybe it's encouragement to you if you're praying for someone else to soften theirs, that perhaps God wants to use you. Perhaps God is done using you and it's time for him to hand that person over to their own destruction. And it's okay for you to allow God to do that. But that God has a plan if he's not intervening on his own. But that God wants to draw close to you and that he is fully capable he is completely sovereign and that how you respond to your current circumstances how Corey how I respond to my current circumstances no matter where we're sent next I can choose to believe that God is still sovereign <laughs>
1: <laughs> now what's a regular night in for you and Kim now Kanye and Kim they got nothing to do Tuesday night what are they doing I don't like going out at night time. I like being at home with my family at night as much as possible. So what I don't is like that night, what do you do? We go, we'll eat dinner and we'll play with the kids and then we'll put the kids to bed and then we go to bed. And then my wife watches Dateline. So she watches Dateline yeah. and you're not really watching anything, you're just straight, straight to sleep? I read the Bible. For real? yes seriously you sit and read the bible yes what is tell me this i've got three kids you've got four kids Mm -hmm. would you recommend my wife and i going for a fourth oh absolutely really the richest thing that you can have is as many children as possible so So are you saying you would roll for a fifth for seven seven shut up you want seven kids Have you and Kim talked about this? This is something that you'd like to do? Yes. Seven children. Yes. So beautiful. I need to talk to my wife. That's for sure. His love will never fade. He's sovereign. And that's for sure. He reigns for eternity.
0: No other love. No other love, no.
1: so that will say, I don't believe it. I don't believe the reawakening of, that is saying he's having. I don't believe, if I look at the last two, three, four, five years of his life, I don't believe that this can be as uh, night and day as it is. Do you know what I mean? Well, that, you, that you would be one day living your life in one way and now saying everything is for this. I'm not sure I believe it. What would you say to those people? Well, I'd say, when you go to sleep, would you agree that you are asleep when you are asleep? And when you wake up, would you agree that you are awake when you are awake? Yeah. Would you agree that that, those are two different states? People who don't believe are walking dead. They are asleep and this is the awakening. That's it, we're down.
0: Thanks for listening to the LifeGiver podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or LifeGiver, you can find more information at www.coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.